Welcome to the Calm Podcast, combining academia and life with Marilyn. My name is Marilyn Ritchie, and I have been a mentor and a scientist for 15 years, and I wanted to find a platform to reach more of the academic community than I interact with at my own university. My goal is to give you strategies and ideas for how to achieve harmony between work and life. Sit back, relax, and let's achieve harmony together. Hey there. Welcome back for another episode of the Calm Podcast, Combining Academia and Life with Marilyn. This is your host, Marilyn Ritchie, and I am really glad to be back here on the podcast with you. It's been a little while. Uh, Now that we're transitioning into this new phase of the pandemic, life is just pretty crazy. I'm starting to go back into the lab a few days a week, and My kids are back at school and back in all their activities, and there's a lot more events happening in person. And so trying to juggle all that and finding time to have quiet afternoon or quiet morning in the house that I can sneak away into the podcast studio and record has been a bit of a challenge. But I am really glad that I found some time today, and so I'm happy to be here with you. Today, I really want to talk about mentoring and I already have kind of drafted notes for a podcast episode on um, mentoring strategies for the mentor, but I decided that I want to make this a two-part episode, and I'm going to start today with my advice for kind of people looking for a mentor. I think the timing is really important. You know, right now, graduate students who are in PhD programs where they do rotations in different labs are just about to start the last rotations of their first year, and then they'll be picking a lab. Uh, Students who are applying for graduate school, particularly PhD programs, are finding out where they're accepted and they're doing their on-site visits, and soon they're going to pick their location, you know, where they're going to do their PhD. A lot of graduate students are getting close to finish and looking for postdoc mentors, and a lot of faculty are looking for mentoring committees. So this time of year, you know, here we are getting ready to start spring. It's just a really good time to talk about, you know, what to look for in a mentor. I think it's important to realize that we all look for mentors throughout our life. You know, no matter what stage we're in, we need mentors of different types. And I think Kind of what we look for evolves over time, depending on what stage of our career we're in or what stage of life we're in. I don't think this is reserved exclusively for people in kind of an academic track. I mean, I I find that I look for mentors in different areas of my life. You know, when I was a new mom, I was looking for mentors who were more seasoned moms. And I find myself now the parent of teenagers, you know, one is a sophomore in high school. And so we're starting to think about college you know, I'm starting to talk to other moms who have already gone through the college process. So I think it's important lifelong that we look for mentors and think about what we're looking for in a mentor. So today, what I want to talk about is kind of what I think about when I'm looking for a mentor and the advice that I give to trainees and to postdocs and to junior faculty when I'm advising them on how to look for a mentor.
All right. So the first thing that I always advise others to do, and it's something that I do for myself, is to ask myself the question, what do I need from this mentoring relationship right now? And I'm going to walk through kind of the different ways that you might think about this, depending on what stage of kind of the academic track that you're in. Mind you, I realize that this might not apply if you're in a different track, but bear with me. I think some of the things in here, um, while I'm thinking about it in terms of people in the academic track, I think it applies, you know, across other fields and disciplines as well. So if you're a student, one of the things that you really need to think about carefully is the balance of kind of daily guidance that you want from a mentor and the amount of independence. I think there is a huge spectrum in terms of how much day-to-day interactions mentors have with their students. Some will check in every day. They will come in in the morning and say, what are you going to work on today? Or they might even come over at the end of the day and say, you know, how was your day? Can I see your results? There are other mentors that you may only see once every couple of months. I don't think either is necessarily bad or wrong, but What you need to ask yourself is, what is right for me? Do I want more day-to-day guidance or do I want more independence? You know, what is it that I'm hoping to get from this person? A more junior faculty mentor is going to have much more time for those day-to-day interactions. However, those junior faculty have a smaller network of people out in the world. And so if part of what you want from the mentoring is not just the experience while you're in the lab, but what they can provide as far as giving you that network of connections for when you graduate and you go on to a postdoc or some other job, that becomes important. That said, if you're a person who would really struggle to only see your mentor once a month or once every couple of months, that really won't be a good fit for you. It won't be a positive experience. Um, I myself tend to be kind of, I guess, in the middle. So I meet with my students either weekly or every other week, kind of depending on their interest. We do some that are one-on-one and some in small groups based on projects in the lab. Again, I don't think that there's a right or a wrong way to do this. It's just a matter of for you as a student, what are you looking for? Um, Same thing with postdocs. You know, a lot of postdocs, when they go into their postdoc lab, a big piece of it is starting to kind of establish themselves as independent investigators and starting to learn that process. But I have also seen postdocs where it really looks like it's an extension of graduate school. They're still getting a lot of daily and weekly mentoring. And again, it's okay. I think just knowing before you choose where to do a postdoc, what are their expectations and what are your expectations? Um, For faculty, I think, you know, asking yourself the question, what do I need in terms of the mentoring group that I'm looking for? You know, I think important things to think about, you want occasional advice. I think most of us want advice. We want someone who's more senior than us that we could go to and get advice. Sometimes we really want honest and critical feedback. We don't necessarily need people to just tell us we're doing a great job, although it doesn't hurt to have at least one cheerleader that's kind of, you know, cheering you on. But often we need the feedback. Sometimes we have, you know, grants or papers and they're, you know, not getting funded, not getting published. And until someone helps us figure out kind of where the problems are so that we can pivot and make adjustments and do better, 
it continues to be a struggle. And so you want to look for mentors that you can trust to give you honest and critical feedback. Um, Similarly, when you're a leader, so when you're taking on leadership roles, I think finding other leaders that you can go to as mentors to get advice, to give you honest feedback about your leadership, and then also thinking about coaching. Um, I've experienced coaching a few different times in my career, and I have to say it is like one of my favorite things when you're leading a group and then you have meetings with a coach that you can just talk through and bounce ideas. And, you know, when this situation happens, here's what I did. What could I have done differently? How could it have gone better? It It's just incredibly useful. So I, I highly advocate for coaches. But in this process, it really is all about you. It's thinking about what do you need from the mentors that you're choosing? What is it that you are hoping to get out of the relationship What is it that you're hoping that person will be able to do for you? And as we're going to talk about next, then we can start to think about the mentor. Okay, so the second area that I think it's important to start asking yourself questions and thinking about is your evaluation of the mentor. Again, I'm going to say again, there isn't necessarily a bad or a wrong style overall, but it's definitely that certain styles could be bad for you. So it's not a matter of just their style of mentoring. And and when I say style, I guess I mean some are more of a coach where they're going to give you critical feedback and cheer you on, but they kind of start with the critical feedback. Some mentors are more of a cheerleader. They're really going to cheer you on And then they're hopefully going to give you some critical feedback, but sometimes their delivery is, you know, a little more upbeat and less critical and where others are more critical and less upbeat for some personalities that goes well one way or the other. That's part of the style. But I think it's also really important to think about kind of some of, you know, their expectations. So do they have a set number of hours that they expect you to be? in the office or in the lab each week. This is, you know, highly variable. There are some who believe it's, you know, 100 hours a week or 80 hours a week or 60 hours a week or 40 hours a week. And there are others who don't count the hours. They just want you to get the work done. And however many hours it takes you to get the work done, that's what it takes. Some want you face-to-face. They want FaceTime in the lab. Some are, you know, not so interested in that and remote is totally fine. Knowing that before you join is important. Um, Do they expect you to primarily do work solo or primarily work as part of a team? Or is it some combination of both? And do you have a preference on that? Um, Do they encourage collaborations and side projects with other labs? You know, I know some mentors who want their student to work on their own project, and that is it. And they actually discourage collaborations with other researchers. I know other mentors who strongly encourage collaborations with others, and many students will have, you know, three or more collaborations over the course of their PhD. Again, neither is wrong, but what do you want your experience to look like? Do they encourage taking classes? You know, sometimes, especially in interdisciplinary Um, programs, students want to take a number of classes in different areas so that they can improve their knowledge, you know, across different disciplines. I know some mentors that are very pro classes. They will allow students to take as many as they want. 
I know other mentors that will not let their students take even one extra class. Once they're done with their requirements, they want them in the lab. Again, not right or wrong, but which one do you want? Which type of mentor do you want? What do you want your PhD kind of time to look like? Are you planning on taking more classes? And would your potential mentor be okay with that? Um, How do they view conferences as part of the education process? Do they think it's important to attend? Do they think it's not so important to attend? And do you think it's important to attend? What is their publication strategy with students? Do they want you to assemble all of your work throughout the time of your PhD for one big seminal paper? Or do they want you to publish along the way? I have an episode of the podcast, I think it's episode number 23, where I talk about publication strategies. You know, I will say here, for students, I think it's so important to learn the process of publishing, of writing, of incorporating edits from, you know, your mentor and from collaborators, from going through the process of peer review and revising papers for a journal that I really think it's important to do more than one paper throughout your PhD. And I know our graduate programs require at least two or three. And I think that's really important. But I do know a lot of programs and a lot of labs that really focus on one seminal paper. Again, what is your expectation and what is theirs? Are they in sync and aligned? And then what are you thinking about post-graduation? Are you thinking that you want a career in academia? Are you thinking that you want a career in industry? Are you thinking that you want to be a writer or a teacher or some other path? And have you talked to your potential mentor about this? And what is their experience? What is their feedback? You know, will they be supportive and helpful or will they be upset and hindrance? Um, There are some who are not supportive of what are considered the non-traditional tracks. I guess that means the people that don't go into academia. I think, you know, that that gets complicated. There aren't enough jobs for every student who gets a PhD to go into academia. So we have to have students who graduate and go into government or go into industry or go into other paths. And there's nothing wrong with those in my opinion. But if you know that you're interested in a path that might not be academia, you know, make sure when you're talking to potential mentors that you get their feedback on that. Are they going to be supportive and helpful? Because the next step is made a lot easier by a supportive mentor who helps to get you there. So again, just ask yourself questions about, you know, what is it about the mentor that, you know, might make you kind of more aligned with their expectations and their experiences? And and are there mentors that while the science is really interesting, you're just out of alignment? And I think that alignment is really important as you're choosing a lab. You know, getting a PhD is a lot of work and you don't want to do it if you're constantly battling not just the the research and the discovery part that is challenging, but also some of those kind of supplemental aspects of the PhD. If that also is a challenge because you're out of alignment with your advisor, it could make it much harder. So again, ask questions. What are your expectations of the mentor and what are theirs? All right. So the third topic that I think it's important to think about when you're choosing a mentor, and I think here this is also when you're thinking about choosing, you know, a boss or a leader if you're in a different space or a different industry is is the work that 
is in that lab or in that group exciting to you? It's really important that you feel passionate and excited about the work that you're doing. You know, we spend a lot of time at work and in our careers and to work really hard on something that we don't think is exciting or interesting or important can be can just be really challenging and really make it feel like work. And so looking for an environment where the type of work that they're doing is something that you're passionate about and that you're interested in and that you could see yourself working on for several years. But not just that the work is exciting, but also understanding how will you know what work you'll do in the group? So does the mentor assign projects to individuals or can you create your own project? Or is it something that happens kind of organically where they start giving new projects to work on and you build off of them and then establish your own project? Um, I've seen it happen in multiple ways. You know, in some labs, they have a grant funded and so they recruit a student to work on that grant. And so the student's going to come in and like, here are the aims and this is what you're going to work on. And then I've seen... Others where a student comes in and says, you know, I'm really interested in this particular area. And then the mentor is like, all right, well, let's see how we can come up with a project in that space. And then I've seen the other where you kind of start out with, well, here's a first project and let's see where it goes from there. And then based on what you learn, you kind of build off of it. Any of those strategies can work, but, you know, what what sounds right to you? And then maybe more importantly is, is the direction of the work going in the direction where you want your career to go. Some groups are have a history of working in a certain area, but are pivoting to a new area. And I think it's important as you're choosing, and this goes for an academic lab, this goes for a company, you don't want to go somewhere based on where they've been, if the, where they're headed is in a different direction. And that's not the direction that you're intending to go. I've seen this a few different times where, you know, a lab, you know, was very focused in one disease area and then a student got there because they really wanted to work on that disease. And then by the time they actually started really working on a project, they were working on something completely different because the lab direction had shifted and they didn't know to ask, you know, is the project that I might work on going to be in the same domain that I'm interested in, or is it possible that it would pivot to something else? Similarly, if you love everything about a lab, except you really wanted to do this one domain of research that is slightly tangential to what that lab is doing, I would ask the mentor, like, I really am passionate about what's going on in the lab, but I really wanted to work in this disease domain or with this type of data. Something that the lab hasn't done You know, is it possible that I could work here but incorporate this other area? I think a lot of mentors will say yes because that allows their kind of breadth of the work that they're doing to expand a bit. And it will be expanded by the passion and interest and work of one of their students. Not all mentors will say yes, but I think many will. And so if everything else seems right with a group, with the exception of you really wanted to work, you know, in a particular disease domain or with a particular type of data or some element, I would just ask and see, is it possible to incorporate that? So again, it's, you know, really trying to find work that you can be passionate about and get excited to go in and work on every day. If it's a great mentor and a great environment, but the work is something that you're just not that interested in or you find boring or even worse, you really don't like it, it's just not going to be a good fit because you're going to have to spend a lot of time 
kind of on your own working on your project, reading about it, trying lots of things. That's the nature of research. We try stuff and then when it fails, we try it again. You're really not going to want to do that if it's a research area that you're not interested in. So number three, is the work exciting to you? We're more than halfway there. Number four, is the lab or office or community that you're looking at a good fit for you? I think part of choosing a mentor is also based on choosing the rest of the environment of that group. The mentor is who is leading that group. So in many ways, they set the tone for the culture in the group. Now, The group can also adapt and have the mentor shift a bit in terms of the culture, but often, you know, the the culture within the community in that lab group or in that office is aligned somewhat with the mentor, but it's really important that it is well aligned with you. Are these people that you would want to interact with on a daily basis, you know, five days a week? you know, 50 weeks a year, figure you take a few weeks of vacation. Or when you interact with these people, are you noticing things that you're like, oh, like, I wouldn't want to work with that person. I don't want to say that it's you're not looking for people to be your best friends. These are not necessarily the people that you spend your free time with, although often that happens in a lab group. But it certainly has to be people that you respect. And that you could see yourself you know, interacting with and collaborating with and being collegial with. Um, What type of community is in the group? You know, is it a lab group that is, you know, a group of, you know, independent scientists who are effectively working in parallel and, you know, interact occasionally, you know, when needed to share reagents or share code or, or help one another out with something in the lab? Or is it a community of people who are very collaborative, very interactive, you know, having lunch together, going to happy hour or going out for dinner on the weekends or going for a run? Again, back to what I said earlier about how there's not really a right or a wrong. I think that that speaks for this here. There are a lot of lab groups who very much work, you know, all of the individuals are in parallel with their projects. And I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. Unless you were looking for a lab where you had a community of individuals to spend time with both at work and outside of work. Similarly, is it a quiet group when they're in the lab? It's kind of silence and nobody's talking. Or is it a lab where there is music playing out loud and people are talking and it's loud? Again, you know, it's a matter of personal preference. Some people like to work in quiet and some people like to work with constant background noise. It's important for you to know what you're stepping into before you get there and certainly before you choose permanently because you want to make sure it's an environment that you can thrive in. This area is, I would say, you know, as important, if not even more important than the aspects of the mentor. In most situations, I think the kind of a student at least spends more time with the people in the lab than they do with the mentor or than they do with the people that they live with. When 
I guess I'm thinking pre-pandemic times, you know, when you're not working remotely, but when you're going into the lab five days a week, you know, you work long days and when you go home, you have a few hours and then you go to bed and then you have the weekends, but it's five days of work and then two days of weekend. And so I think over the course of the year, you do spend more time with the people that you work with than you do with the people that you choose to live with. And so I think it's really important to ask yourself, you know, is this a community of people that I want to interact with, that I could see myself spending time with? There's a lot of work in the personal development and psychology spaces that talk about how, you know, there are different sayings. There's one, um, you become like the five people that you spend the most time with. And I'm not even sure who coined that. I've heard it said by so many different people. Um, I've also recently started to hear more about how, you know, the content that you kind of see and the words that you hear kind of shape the way that you think. And so, for example, if you spend a lot of time with motivated, you know, high performer, positive, encouraging people, that shifts you toward being a high performer who's more positive, who's more encouraging to others. Whereas if you spend your time with a lot of people who are very negative, it can make you focus on the negative. So I think it's really important to like reflect back to, you know, number one, what are you looking for internally out of the kind of environment that you're choosing and the mentor that you're choosing? What is it that you need? And then we've already thought about the mentor and the work, but now is that group, a group of people that can help support the type of person that you're trying to become? Number five, the last one, listen to your gut. I have had so many conversations with students over the years where they'll come into my office and say, I really need your advice. I really want to go to this school or I really want to join this person's lab, but, and they make some sort of comment and then a justification for why it's probably okay. So something like, you know, I really want to go to this place for grad school. It's got a great program. And I really hit it off with the other students when I went for the recruitment weekend. But all of the mentors that I wanted to work with are not taking students next year. But, you know, I'm sure I'll just find someone else. You know, there are lots of people and I like, eh, you know, I'm sure I'll just, I'll pick someone else. It'll be fine. I think it's really important that if your gut is telling you that there is a problem with, you know, choosing a specific lab, choosing a specific PhD program, choosing a specific postdoc or faculty position or job, we have to listen to our gut. We should not try to justify why something feels wrong. I think it's more important to accept that it is not a good fit for you at this time. If it doesn't feel right to you, it's probably not right. And I talked about this, I think it's episode nine, when I talk about choosing the next stage in your career. And this gut instinct thing, I think it's just so important to stay in tune with and aligned with and listen to. 
If you imagine, you know, going to a particular graduate program, and then as you kind of close your eyes and visualize it, you feel like you're going to puke, it's not the right fit. Similarly, if you're like trying to decide between two different labs and there, you know, you have your pro con list for each lab and you're trying to decide which one do you want to join. And when you imagine that you're picking this one, you kind of get like nervous and anxious and there's just something off. But when you choose the other one, it feels right. But on paper, it's hard to justify some aspect. I would say to go with your feelings. If it does not feel right to you, there probably is something wrong and it probably isn't the right fit. And when I say wrong, I don't mean wrong with the lab or wrong with the place. I mean wrong for you. It, it's a really big decision when you're choosing something that's going to last, you know, two to five years of your life. It's not permanent. It's only two to five years of your life, but you want to be excited about it and you want it to be the best possible fit that you can. So my advice is that if it feels right, And when you imagine yourself in that place or with that person or in that lab, you get excited and kind of nervous, but it's like the nervous butterfly excitement, then it's probably the right fit. If you get anxious and the like yucky nervous feeling, it's probably the wrong fit. But most importantly, whatever the feeling is, listen to your gut At least in my experience over the last 45 years, my gut is very rarely wrong. It is time to start to wrap up for today. I hope that you heard some messages in here that are useful to you, especially if you are a student who is starting to think about, you know, choosing a med- or a graduate school or a medical school, or if you're trying to choose a lab. Um, I would also say if you're in the later stages of your career, I think it's really important. You know, we can look far and wide for mentors. They don't have to be people that we interact with on the daily. I have some mentors who... I just reach out to, you know, they're scientists from other universities and other places. And I have two or three that routinely, you know, a couple times a year, I will reach out and say, you know, can I have a call with you? I just need some advice. I need someone to bounce some ideas off of. Sometimes I read books to look for mentorship. I will find, you know, some topic that I need some guidance on. And so I find a book on it and sometimes a few and read different ways to think about framing the issue. Sometimes I search out podcasts and look for a podcast or a few on a topic and kind of get mentorship from there. So I think sometimes it's, you know, individual with another person. And sometimes you can find mentors who don't even know you exist, but they just have content that speaks to you and can provide what you need. So I'm going to wrap up for today. Uh, The next episode, I'm going to give some advice for the mentors. So the other side of this, you know, how do you serve the people that you're trying to mentor and what are the things to think through as you're going through that journey. So with that, I'm going to wrap up. Thank you so much for listening. Have a good week and I'll talk to you next time. You've just listened to another episode of the Calm Podcast. I hope that some of the strategies that I talked about are helpful to you in your journey through academia and life. As they say, it's not all about the destination, it's about the journey. 
let's make it a great one. Until next time.